Well, brothers and sisters, uh, today is the fifth Sunday in Lent, and as, uh, as we are moving closer and closer to Good Friday and Easter, we are uh, paying attention each and every Sunday to the, the reality that um, we have these mini Easters. So we're preparing our hearts for the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross, remembering that it was us, it was, it was we, it was it was because of us that Jesus came and he emptied himself of everything and became in very nature a servant. And he lived and he walked among us and he talked with us and he taught us and he healed us and he died for us. And he died for us at our hands. Even if we weren't there physically speaking, it was because of us, it was for us that he did it. And because each and every one of us has done bad things, we have done those things that the church has traditionally called sin, although often sin seems like a word that, that more and more folks in the world don't really understand. Because each and every one of us has done wrong things, things that break relationship or, or twist or, or bend relationships between us and God and between us and others and between us and ourselves and between us and creation, because we have all done those things and because God is a God who is holy and righteous and cannot and will not tolerate that in His children his creations, something need to happen to bridge the gap, to, feel, to fix the relationship, to heal the brokenness. And Jesus came to do that because we couldn't do it for ourselves. Every time we tried, it was unsuccessful. We didn't do good enough. And I know that some of you can identify with that. Maybe all of you can identify with that. Maybe you remember, maybe you remember me sharing the story of, of my drive home with my future father-in-law one time way back when I was 17 years old or so. At the time, I was, uh, <laughs> I was, I think, vice president of our youth group, um, and I was involved in uh, a theatrical anti-drug campaign group, and I was going to a Christian high school, and I was involved in the drama club there, and I had a job as a, as a stock clerk at a grocery store, and uh, you know I was going out with Gwyneth at the time already, and she was just amazing, of course, right? Uh, and, and, and yet, Driving home, it was a 45-minute car ride from Wallaceburg to Sarnia, and, and talking with my, my girlfriend's father, and somehow it came out just how frustrated I was. Just how frustrated I was because everything I tried to do, I knew was not good enough. I just... I just wanted to do something, anything, something that I could give to God that would be good. You know, capital letters, good. But every single thing, 
Either I didn't work hard enough at it and I knew it wasn't, it wasn't my best work. Or I worked hard at it, but my motivations were twisted and wrong. I was really doing it because I wanted people to notice me. I wanted people to praise me. Or I was doing it, I was doing it incompetently. Or I was doing it It was all pathetic. And, and Trevor, my future father-in-law, he said to me, Dan, don't you know that there is nothing you can do to make God love you any more and there is nothing you can do to make God love you any less. He just loves you. And for what felt like the first time in my life, I started to get it. That the things I did had nothing to do with whether or not God loved me. That God would love me even if everything I ended up doing ended up being not good enough. And the truth be told, I still feel that those things, except by the grace of God, are not really good enough. Praise be to God. There is the grace of God. Right? But this is, this is what we are realizing is that we in ourselves could not do what was needed to heal the rift and the relationship between ourselves and God or between ourselves and others or between ourselves and ourselves or between ourselves and God's creation that we were given to take care of. And so God came in Jesus Christ to do something. But the problem for the people of Israel during Jesus' day was that they didn't really understand what was going on. They kept looking only to the past. They kept looking back to Moses and him taking them out of Egypt. And they kept looking and looking and looking at that, not looking at where they were, what was happening right now with Jesus Christ. The Messiah. Star Wars fans, anybody? My dad is a Star Wars fan. Yes, excellent. Right? So, <clears throat> remember, there's a scene in The Empire Strikes Back where, where Luke is getting trained, right? He's getting trained and Yoda's sitting there and, and Luke gets this vision of, of his friends and they're in trouble, right? And, and Yoda, Yoda chastises him and he says, he says, Never his mind on where he was, what he was doing. <coughs> That's the best Yoda I've got, sorry. <coughs> Always looking away to the future. Right? This is a problem. <coughs> <coughs> So that was maybe a mistake. <laughs> this is a problem for Christians, right? Constantly looking to the future or constantly looking to the past is a problem. And this is what Isaiah says. This is our first passage for today. <clears throat> Isaiah chapter 43, verses uh, 16 to 21. 
This is what the Lord says. He who made a way through the sea, a path through the mighty waters, who drew out the chariots and horses, the army and reinforcements together, and they lay there never to rise again, extinguished, snuffed out like a wick. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. The wild animals honor me, the jackals and the owls, because I provide water in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland to give drink to my people, my chosen, the people I formed for myself, that they may proclaim my praise. The word of the Lord. See, God himself in Isaiah chapter 43, God himself points out the things that he did in the, in the past, the things that the Israelites are constantly hearkening unto, the things that they're constantly looking at. Oh, remember when God brought us out of Egypt. And, and to some degree, that is good and appropriate, but not when it comes at the expense of the thing that God is doing now. And of course, the thing that God is doing now, the new thing that was springing up, is what we will read about in our next passage, which is John chapter 12. John chapter 12, verses 1 to 8. John chapter 12, verses 1 to 8. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume, and she poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put in it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. The word of the Lord. What, What an interesting trio we have here. I mean, besides Jesus. Jesus, of course, is the the focal, the, the center of this story but the the interesting trio that we have around Jesus at the moment is Mary Martha and Lazarus they are such fascinating characters and they're tantalizing because we don't actually really get to know that much about them I mean Lazarus we we see in this story of course where Jesus raises him from the dead and oh my goodness Wouldn't you like to sit down with Lazarus and talk to him about that for a while, right? 
And then, of course, there's Mary and Martha, who, who are siblings and, and, uh, and who have clearly been followers and faithful followers of Jesus for a long time. This is the same Mary and Martha who, when, when Jesus is visiting there earlier, Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet listening to all he has to say, and Martha is bustling about in the, in the kitchen and so on, doing all the host things, and, and, and then she gets upset with with Mary, you know, Jesus, just tell her to come and help me. Come on, can't you see? I'm just struggling here. And Jesus says gently but lovingly, Martha, Mary has chosen the, the good thing, the better thing, and that will not be taken away from her. And, and then Mary and Martha, they, they both sort of, they both have interactions with Jesus at the time of Lazarus' death and his resurrection too, right? Where, where Martha sort of chastises Jesus and says, hey, if you'd have been here, then things would have been all right, right? And then here we have them and Mary pours out this, this perfume on Jesus' feet worth a year's wages. And, and notice something here in the contrast between Mary and Martha, and not that we're judging Martha here, not at all, but notice that consistently throughout the scriptures, whenever we see Mary, Mary has her head on straight. She knows that it's all about Jesus. And she is going to take every moment that she can to be with him, to listen to him, to serve him and to love him. She gets what's going on in a way that very few other people seem to do in the gospel accounts. She understands something profound about who Jesus is and what he has come to do. She took out a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. Brothers and sisters, Mary knew. Mary knew that it wasn't about how God had led the Israelites out of Egypt, although that was important. Mary knew that it wasn't about how many generations of her family had been faithful Israelites. Mary knew that it wasn't about whether or not she worked hard enough like Martha did. Mary even knew that it wasn't about whether or not spectacular things like being raised from the dead like Lazarus. She knew that that also wasn't really what it was all about about. She saw the new thing that was springing up, and it was Jesus. Sometimes, sometimes I feel like it is difficult for us to see that even, even though we are 2,000 years down the road-ish, 
Jesus is still the new thing. Jesus is still the new thing because we so don't get it. It's still revolutionary for us to get it through our thick skulls that I can't do enough stuff or good enough stuff to earn my way into God's favor. Just like Paul as the Pharisee of Pharisees was doing. That I can't inherit some form of righteousness from my family or my ancestors or my predecessors or my cultural heritage or anything like that. And that really the only thing that can make things right between myself and others, myself and God, myself and this creation is God himself in Jesus Christ. We just struggle to get that. How do I know that it's not just me that struggles with this? Well, Let's look at a variety of things. In the Christian Reformed Church, because that's the denomination I know the best, and that's the one that we are a part of, you know, it used to be, it's not quite so much anymore, but it used to be that you would grow up within the church, and you would always believe, and you would just be part of that, and you would automatically basically be baptized as as an infant, and then you would grow up, and you would go through Sunday school, and catechism, and all that stuff, and then when you turned 18, you would do profession of faith, because that's what you did. I remember in my catechism class so many people who didn't really believe anything, but they could answer the questions that the council asked them about which Heidelberg catechism question and answer said this and which was that, and they could answer the questions. They were from a good family. Okay, way to go. Oh, come on. Right? It doesn't work like that. We talk about in... <laughs> And this happens at Synod, too. We talk about maintaining a Reformed distinctive. As if somehow, as Reformed people who have been around for 500 years, we have a corner on the truth and we have a distinctive that needs to be maintained. Who cares? I'd like to maintain a Christ distinctive please. And my free Methodist friends, at least one of whom is here, another convert is here, (laughs) right? Who would I be to say that they also don't, that they don't also have a Christ distinctive? Absolutely. Right? It's not about what my ancestors did or your ancestors did or reformed distinctives or anything like this. It's about the new thing that is springing up. The thing that doesn't come from an inheritance. The thing that doesn't come from me being good enough or doing good enough. But rather, the thing that is grace alone through faith in Jesus Christ. This is what Mary gets. 
And this is what Isaiah is telling the people of Israel. And this is what Paul is telling us in Philippians. All that other stuff compared to this, it's garbage. So brothers and sisters, as we get closer and closer to Good Friday and Easter, let us focus on the new thing. The new thing that is Jesus Christ. That He came. That He walked among us. That He healed us and talked with us and and, and taught us. And that He died for us and rose again for us so that we could be family with Him. Together with Mary and Martha and Lazarus and Paul, and so many people of Israel, and so many of our forebearers, so we can be little Christ ones. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you so very, very much for this scriptural word, O God. And Lord, we do, we do very much thank you for faithful parents and grandparents and so on way down the line who have taught us your word. And so we are grateful for those who taught us that faith is not something we can inherit. That righteousness is not something we can inherit. That it is not even something that we can accomplish. But rather, O God, that you, Jesus Christ, are the only one who can can fill in the gap, who can repair the bridge, who can build anew the relationship between God and God and humans. Lord, please, please forgive us if we have taken if we have taken our past or our inheritance as something for granted, O oh God. Please forgive us if we pretended that we could earn our own way in this world. Please forgive us if we have wallowed in our own failures rather than grasping the gift that you have offered out to us freely. Instead, O God, may we count all of that as garbage compared to faith in you, Jesus Christ. And may we persevere, putting one foot in front of the other, Following in your way, Jesus. Not so that we could earn our salvation. That is all done. That is all taken care of. But rather so that we can grow into the fullness of you, Jesus, who is our head. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.